are going to continue in our series, God of Abundance, and today we're moving to the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, or if uh, you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen, but let us turn to the Word, and before we read, let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the many gifts that you give us and the many forms they take and for the joy that you bring into our moments um, when we just need to be reminded of of, of all that you give us. And we ask that your word be that kind of reminder now that in the midst of our busyness and our planning for what's next or our hanging on to what was, that we just hear the word at this time. That we hear it with fresh ears. That we hear words in the reading that maybe we haven't heard before. We ask that you speak. And so help us to prepare our ears and our hearts to hear the word as we read. In Jesus' name, amen. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going so that there was no time to eat. He said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place, and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, Should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months' pay and give it to them to eat? He said to them, How much bread do you have? Take a look. And after checking, they said, Five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to seat all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate until they were full. They filled twelve baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About five thousand had eaten. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Lord, speak to us now through this gospel narrative, through our contemplation with, of it, and as we wrestle and struggle with it, may we encounter you in that holy struggle. I ask that you speak through me in spite of me and that we hear you in spite of ourselves. And let all that is said and heard, Lord, be pleasing and acceptable to you, for, Lord, you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So we're in week three of our series, God of Abundance, uh, using the scriptural image of bread and wisdom and how they often go hand in hand. And so our message is that God provides for us, any of us, all of us, if we but trust and allow God to. That's the hard part. 
Week one, we talked about Elijah who saw this little bit of flour in a jar and, and with trusting God, saw that little bit of flour last he and the widow and the widow's household throughout the entire famine. And then last week, we heard about Israel wandering in the wilderness, receiving manna, receiving sustenance each and every day, and with the idea that they needed to trust that God would provide for them every day. And to this new way of living and being a people of God, the problem was they had to let go of the Egypt behind them, the the times of slavery and oppression and of excess and not trusting. That's kind of where we're all at. Learning to do that more and more each and every day in new ways. And so today we're going to focus on this familiar story. Maybe it's familiar, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And when they say feeding of the 5,000, in some translations it'll say that's just the men. It doesn't include the women and children, which there most certainly would have been. Um, but today we're going to focus on this story. And, and I know you've, you may have heard it read or preached or, or you've maybe studied it yourself. But I want to offer something that may be a little different And I want to explain my background a little bit, that I am a complete nerd when it comes to the Bible. And I use that word proudly. Uh, I collected commentary before I needed them. I just enjoyed them um, because I have found that the English translation is great, and I'm glad we have it, but there's so much behind that translation that, that can change the meaning that we read when we just look at the surface. So I want to look into some of the Greek and some of the history behind the first century to help this familiar story bring some new things to light, possibly. And if you've heard it all before, then you're going to hear it again. (laughs) So I'm going to kind of put on a teacher hat. I'm going to give you some tools, and then we're going to read through the story again with our tools, and then we'll go on to, to what this means for us today. So first, I want to talk about banqueting in the world of the first century. Have you ever been to a banquet or a banquet hall? You know, this language is not particularly unique. But the idea for banquet, in the Greek, it's symposia. And it comes from this word, this idea of symposium. And in first century, a symposium was a a gathering that someone very rich and very powerful would uh, pay for and fund. Sometimes these rich and powerful people would give money to other people to throw them a birthday dinner. See, uh, But it's always funded and supported by someone of elite status. Now, we have record of Caesar's putting on symposiums for up to 200,000 people to say that you are part of Rome and I respect you and I honor you as Romans. And then, of course, Caesar would have broken the bread and been the host uh, and then had a whole lot of people helping. Now, some people would have symposiums and they would be smaller groups, but these symposiums that we hear about in some of our ancient writings, they would have people gathered together that were of high status, very learned people, very rich in the understanding of the arts and political affair, very, very studied on theologies and religions, and they would gather together and eat at a meal and then share in rich conversation that would take hours, and they would uh, grow in, in their knowledge and share with each other and kind of try to outdo one another. There was one game that would be played at a symposium where someone would grab a guitar or a lyre and strum some chords and then offer the line of a poem or a song that they made up on the spot, and then they'd look to someone else, and then that person, in rhythm and rhyme, had to follow and create another line of the poem, and they would just keep going around trying to outdo one another. So if you showed up to a banquet, you better be ready to play. And it was a friendly, competitive gathering of minds. So this idea of symposium uh, is what the word is. It's actually used twice, a symposia, symposia. 
in our scripture today. Jesus is gathering them into a symposia, not just a normal meal. And so the other thing at banquets and, and at other common meals, I'm going to demonstrate it, you didn't sit at chairs like we sit at chairs and pull them up to a table. You had you either laid on the ground, maybe on some cloth or a pillow, or if you were rich, you had a couch and you could lean on the couch. They didn't have utensils, so they would use their hands. And so you might lay down like such toward the table and then eat with your hand and uh, use one hand for eating and the other for leaning. And your feet would be pointed away from the table. And you've seen this before because in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is eating at a meal at the Pharisee Simon's house and a woman starts washing his feet, you might have asked, how did she get to his feet? Well, because he was reclined. The word is reclined. And he was there being honored as a holy guest. And they were sharing honor among one another. That's what meals do. That's what banquets and symposiums are for. But this reclining was a different way of eating. And you didn't recline unless you were rich, unless you were of power, unless you had the means to provide couches in a society where most people couldn't provide enough food day to day to eat. So, there's the sharing of wisdom, the bread. We've talked about bread and wisdom being synonymous and symbols of each other. What we find is when Jesus first arrives on the scene, he sees the people and he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and then he teaches them a great many things. Now, that's a really boring way to say it, great many things. The, the translation in the Greek for that great many things is, actually speaks to a depth and an extensive teaching. So Jesus saw them and then gave them a deep full, extensive teaching on what he's been teaching the whole gospel, the kingdom of God. So Jesus sits with the people and teaches them extensively. All right? And then, it's late in the day, after he's taught them all day, when we find the scene we come on to. Now, more language in the story. There's king language. Kings in, in Israel's time, they were, they were anticipated to be like shepherds, like David, the shepherd king. A shepherd was to guide the people, and so they were waiting for a king to truly do this rather than a king just making it all about the king's self, and there had been plenty of those in Israel, and they were waiting, and so he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Now, they have a king. What was the king's name in this time? Herod, right? Herod was talked about just a few verses before, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but Jesus sees them as a shepherd sees the sheep. And then it says he instructs them to sit down on the green grass, which sounds like song. Psalm 23, that he leads them to green pastures and prepares a table for them among their enemy. Here, Jesus is getting ready to prepare a banquet table to invite them to recline at a time when they were oppressed and they were occupied by Rome. The boot of the empire was ever on their throat. But Jesus is going to be the shepherd for them. Then there's prophetic language, this extensive teaching he gives them, gives them an idea of what's happening, how to really understand themselves and God and the world around them. And I, I'll emphasize it that way because someone asked in first service, is this prophecy like seeing the future? That's not what prophecy is in scripture. Prophecy isn't seeing the future. Prophecy is seeing reality for what it is. Sometimes we don't see all the prophets in the Old Testament come to Israel and say, look, do you not realize what you're doing? You're worshiping and you're doing all these things, but you're ignoring the poor and the widow. Do you not see that you're not being the people God wanted you to be? And if you keep on this path, what's going to happen to you is what happens to all kingdoms that don't operate in God's way, they're going to fall. 
Now, I'll liken it to this. If you're, if you're driving down the road and someone flies by you at 100 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, what's going to happen to them? What are the chances really strongly of? Getting pulled over, they're going to wreck, they're going to hurt somebody, yeah? So you can predict the future or you just understand the way things work and when someone is operating in a way, you can understand where that might take them if they continue. That's the idea of prophets. And so Jesus gives them this extensive teaching and then invites them to sit down in garden plots, is the Greek. I'll put all this together in a minute. To sit down in garden plots. Now, up to this point in the gospel, every time Jesus teaches of the kingdom, he always likens it to a seed, growth, wheat, a mustard seed, you know, growing into a plant. So he sits them in the garden plots. Anybody here garden? Yeah. You've got to put stuff in a plot, right? You've got to have it organized. And then what do you do in a garden? You just wait for it to grow and then go and, no, no, you labor and then you get mad when it never rains. And then, uh, you, you know, you find out and half the stuff isn't producing any, but the idea is you work with it so that growth can occur. Jesus organizes them into garden plots and invites them to sit in a symposium where they might share ideas and conversation around these rich ideas of the kingdom they've just experienced, and through this, they will grow. Really fascinating, this little bit of scripture. Are you with me? All right, I'm going to take the teacher hat off, but before I do, are there any questions, students? I had one in the first service. If you have a question... Someone else might have the same one, right? Everyone's good. Everyone's got it. All right. So let's read the story again, and I'm going to translate parts of the story using our new understanding of the language. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them extensively on the kingdom of God. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place. It's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, should we go off and buy bread, almost eight months' pay, and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how much bread do you have? Take a look. And after checking, they said five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to go and recline all the people in a symposium as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. And they reclined down in garden plots of hundreds and fifties. And he took five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces and gave them to his disciples who sat before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate till they were full. They filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About 5,000 had eaten. Jesus offers the crowd an extensive teaching about the kingdom of God, this new way of life that's being ushered in. And people up to this point are finding release. They're finding their eyes opened, some literally, some spiritually. They're seeing things in a whole new way. Some have found healing and salvation and freedom and hope. Even amidst Rome, they have hope. Garden plots, the sowing the seed and then arranging them, and Jesus steps back as the host breaking the bread, but then the disciples disperse the food and the people engage in conversation and have their fill in these groups. The Word working, the Spirit 
at work. Twelve baskets left over. A little imagery in that too. What's the number 12 in Scripture? Where do we find this? Well, we find 12 tribes of Israel. Israel was established as a kingdom of 12 tribes. The 12 disciples is simply a parallel of that because Jesus is ushering in a new Israel, a whole new Israel. And there's so much wisdom and bread that Jesus has to offer and su- the sustenance for his people that there's enough for each to continue to go on beyond their fill to have a basket left to give others something to eat. Now, another little fun backhanded thing that Mark does, and backhanded is intentional, just a few verses prior, another king gave a banquet on his birthday and brought all his guests together and they sang and danced and then his daughter, or stepdaughter, danced for him and he promised to give her anything she wanted and she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And this, of course, is Herod. So Herod gave a banquet, a symposia, and Herod, who's supposed to be the shepherd, is just doing things for himself. And in his weakness, isn't doing what the people need which was what John the Baptist brought. Instead, he kills the very thing that people need. He kills the prophecy that John came to bring to wake people up to the coming of Jesus. Where Herod failed as the king, Jesus succeeds. All this to say, the feeding is to say that Jesus is not just a king, he's the king, and he's way, way more. The God of abundance is at work in Jesus Christ providing them bread and wisdom, the fullness of all that they need and more. To let them feast and recline at a banquet amidst the isolated places that we find ourselves in. That we can receive a sustenance and abundance at that. That's the truth. Like the people on the hillside, we often, we often don't even know the miracles at work among us. There's no indication that people had any clue a miracle had happened. All they know is the disciples brought food and put food before them and they talked. The disciples knew, and we know. The miracle was for the disciples. Jesus said, give them something to eat. They said, basically, how? And then he showed them how. We often have the miracle we need. We just may not even know it. Only the disciples knew. Jesus didn't even serve the meal. He was the host. But it is disciples, disciples, that worked the miracle and fed the crowds. Powerful story. Uh, it's powerful on many levels, and I could spend weeks and weeks talking about it, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, So, yeah, see what I mean? I'm a nerd, okay? I know that many of us today are feeling pressure on all sides of our culture. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what labels others give you. Every one of us feel the pressure of culture. Or is it just, just me? Everyone is feeling uncomfortable, starved for guidance, hungry for wisdom about how do we get through the day. We can't even turn on the news without seeing bad stuff happening and us being told what group of people we should be fearing and blaming for our problems. Uh, Maybe you're just facing financial struggles and not just. Those are serious. Maybe you're facing disease and illness Maybe you're facing the pains of aging and the frustration it is to remind you that you're aging. The fear of watching your family members lose faith or succumb to addiction or become buried in the stress of their job or an illness you can't even figure out what it is. Or maybe people are just living in a way counter to what you wish they would. 
is you see that it could be so much better. Some of our most sacred pastimes are becoming overrun with consumerism, sponsors, politics, religious warfare. Do you feel starved at times for just some peace? Some of our own mealtimes with friends and family can become contentious if we bring this up. So we find that our meals, the time we're supposed to be together, are better served by building walls, that we don't go there. Sometimes we just feel drained and starved and lost or just frustrated. Anybody with me? Time and time again, this is exactly where the God of abundance meets you. Rarely do we encounter and see the God of abundance in the times of good, not because God's not there, but because we don't need God. But in these moments, when we're hungry on the hill, God meets us with abundance. God's been working in your life since before day one. Since before day one. God has given us Jesus, the bread of life, to teach us and offer us a seat in which we can recline at the banquet table of wisdom each and every day. It's true. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by Jesus to speak a better word into our hearts amidst the day-to-day -day struggles when we go to turn on the TV or have that conversation or, or get caught up in this latest whatever. We have the word in our hearts speaking. And when we come together, this group of people, when we come together to share and to sit in garden plots and let the seed grow, to have conversation, to study, to vent, to pray, to praise. Amazing things happen. The Spirit can work. Now, it's good when we give these gatherings that we have conversations that are healthy and fruitful. Okay? Let me say that again. We can get together and have conversations that aren't healthy or fruitful. Amen? But when we let love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, when we let these things become the foundation upon which we grow, we receive life and goodness in God and all that we need for the day and more. We find that we experience the kingdom of God when we remember who we are and whose we are because the kingdom of God is available to you right now just like it was to those people and they experienced on that hill. In the midst of struggle, they had abundance and they sat at a banquet and enjoyed the growth of the word within them. That's what the kingdom is. We belong to God. We belong to each other. We were made worthy by Jesus Christ and not by anything that we did, but by everything that he did. Amen? We were never meant to engage in this faith alone. It says it right there in Genesis, we weren't made to do anything alone. Jesus is so much more than your personal Savior. So much more. We are invited to accept Jesus as a shepherd of our flock. To make it less about me and more about we. We're invited to be part of his fold and to be led through the dark valleys to the green pastures that are always there. We are invited to recline at the Lord's banquet table. So pull up a chair or sit on a couch. That's what your house is set up to do. And come and be involved in the ministries here. 
Maybe it's just being a part of a Sunday school class or a small group. Sit in a garden plot. Let Christ organize you. Let the word take hold and begin to grow and find that you have the God of abundance providing for you. Or start out your own small group if you want. Talk to me, I'll be happy to help you set that up. The invitation is to consume the wisdom of God and then come and join together with the body so that the kingdom can grow. This is the story. This is the invitation. And if you'd like to be a part of that, today's your day, then come. And let's pray together in our time of prayer. Come pray to God, and and if you see someone stand up, don't let them do it alone. Come up and pray beside them and, and allow the word to take hold. Can we do this together? Can we only do it together? Amen.